What's the best movie made from the year you were born? A question you may or may not have considered, but absolutely should. <laughs> What is up, my nerds? Welcome inside Pop Culture with Fanboy Know-It-All. And back inside our crazy brains. At least mine. <laughs> it's been open since really early this morning. Um, yeah, you've already been up. I've been like up a... I've been up since the ungodly hour of 4.45. Oh my goodness. But hey, you know what? It's, it's what we do. Yeah. It's what we do. We're dedicated. We're dedicated yeah. to our craft. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I was up working. Paul was up organizing his bookshelf. I was going bookshelf. just to bed. Oh, yeah. you were just going to bed? Yeah. After yeah, organizing your bookshelf yeah. in Skyrim? Yeah. No, I, it, that's that's the way I party. I organize. <laughs> this is the third time this has come up, unrelated I to any conversation. I am never going to let this go. Oh, I mean, you, this you should is, have known bringing no. up organizing virtual books in a video game. This is the peril of sharing. <laughs> you just never share that's the moral of this story. That's all right. I, you always, you still make fun of me for. Uh, actually, I can't think of anything you can make fun of me for. So, <laughs> actually, you might make fun of me. No, I, I make fun of you a lot, just you, behind your back. Yeah, just not to my face. <clears throat> but, uh, but you might have plenty to make fun of me for in this one because we're talking about the our favorite movies from the years we were born. Yeah. Yeah, because which we were, were different years. We were not born the same year. <laughs> yeah, they were very different years. Yeah, and this was a much harder exercise than I thought it was going to be. You know, because you obviously when you're born, you're not that big of a movie fan right out of the womb. You just don't start flipping on Netflix to see what's on. Well, and when we were born, there wasn't a Netflix to be flipped on. There so was barely a TV when I was born. Hardly a TV when Paul was born. Yeah, and. Even when I was born, it wasn't like my parents had access to all this home entertainment, more yeah. so than your parents had, but, right. but only a little bit more. Yeah. And yeah. so I was kind of relegated to watching whatever they may or may not have watched, but my parents were poor now, when they had me, did poor you, college students. Did you have like a – like when you were little, little, did you have like a, a VCR or a we did. DVD player? Or? <laughs> DVD players weren't out when <laughs> I was little. But, but VHS yeah. – uh, yes, we did have a VHS player. Yeah. And, and we did utilize it. Yeah. See, I never had a VHS player the entire time I was growing up. It was – they Ever. were invented. Even in high school? N- not even in high school Whoa. because my parents were very late adapters. I I was the person who bought the very first VCR because it was it was like a magical thing, right? Yeah. You, could, you could pop in a movie. You could watch anything you wanted, anytime you wanted. It was revolutionary. It yeah. really was. When When I was a kid – Every once in a while, my mom was in this singing group, and she would leave for like a weekend or whatever to do her singing thing. My dad, during that time, we would always rent a VCR. We would rent (laughs) a VCR. We're not going to buy one, Paul. (laughs) We're just going to rent one. We're going to bring it home. All the time. And we would get three movies. My sister got to pick one. I got to pick one. My dad got to pick one, and we would watch them all, and it was marvelous it was great yeah i mean what a treat it was you got to rent a vcr you got to go to a video store yeah no where they had film reels i'm guessing (laughs) for your home projector (laughs) but you're like no take us to the back room where you have the vhs tapes yeah so another quick story i know we're getting way (laughs) off track early in the morning but when i was a when i was a little kid the coolest kid i knew his father was an artist and he had done some work for Disney, and Disney apparently had asked him what, you know, what they could do special for him because he was apparently he did some huge favor for them. Nice. He said he said he wanted to have a copy of his son's favorite movie, Peter Pan. So on his birthday every year, we would pull out the the actual film reel of Peter Pan. We would watch the whole movie of Peter Pan every birthday and it was the coolest thing ever. And now with a projector. I just, with a projector. And now I just think back that was the thing that I thought of when I bought my first Peter Pan VHS tape. I thought, "Oh, my poor friend. He's this, this really cool He's not thing special anymore. From his childhood. <laughs> it's it's like something that everybody can do." 
And your dad wasn't thinking about the future. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. Sad, sad, sad. All right. Well, um, with, with that being said, <laughs> let's dig into the sad years of our births. Yeah. So we got we to gotta fess up what years we were born. We so, will. We will. Okay. Just side of this short musical interlude. Short musical interludes aside, Paul, what year were you born? Fess up. I was born. I was born in a really great year, actually, but apparently not a great year for movies, as we'll find out. But I was born in 1969. I mean, we were too busy landing on the moon at that. We point. were landing on or the moon. Or faking it. If Hippies some people were are right, doing their hippie thing. It was the year of tie dye. It was. It was a great year. Yeah, I don't ain't remember. Nobody, much ain't of nobody it. had time to make movies that yeah, year. No. They, it wasn't a high priority. So no, it wasn't. Maybe it was kind of like the B list yeah. movie makers were on tap because the A list guys were making the moon landing short film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, guys, I just want to be clear. I don't. Goodness. I don't think the moon landing is a hoax. Oh, so don't don't goodness. at me or or do at me if you want. But yeah. uh, it's not true. I think we should have a follow-up conversation about music because I know the music of my year of birth would kill yours. I don't know, man. I don't okay. know. Okay. So the the music – my year of birth was 1989, just a, a short – a scant two decades later. Yeah, which um, explains why you're so much more immature. It That is a uh, – it, it's a correlation <laughs> to be sure. I don't know if it's causation yet, mm. but there's correlation Correlation. Correlation for sure. So um, so we're going to do our, our top five favorite movies from – and you picked from your year of birth. Correct. 69. I picked from my year of birth, 89. And so let's let's dive right in. Let's Paul, dive right in. Kick okay. us off. Number five. <sighs> Number five. Let me, let me just fess up that I've only seen five movies from the year of my birth. So I cannot vouch necessarily for <laughs> How the favorite overall is quality. It? It, wasn't like <laughs> exactly. was, it wasn't like there was a, yeah. a tight race at the top. No. It was like, I guess, I'll, <laughs> I guess I have to include this at number five, even though it's one of the worst exactly. movies I've ever seen. But the thing is, I mean, when you, when you watch movies from the year of your birth, chances are that they've, they've actually stood some test of time, right? So At least their existence proves they weren't burned. <laughs> exactly. And there may be some other movies that, you know, I've watched sort of ancillarily on MST3K or something like sure. that, that, that. That actually might make my list. But starting off, number five, Easy Rider. Easy Rider. So have you seen Easy Rider? I, I, no, I'm, and I can't even – I'm drawing a blank on who's even – Is that a – Easy Rider is, is really a, a seminal movie from, from the year and really from the whole period of time. Like when people point to the 60s, they point to Easy Rider. Was and Brad say, Pitt in that This one? was it. No, <laughs> Brad Pitt was not, which makes – I think he, he might have been born that year actually. <laughs> that makes me feel so Anyways, keep going. Old. Easy Rider, okay, seminal movie Easy of Rider. the 60s. So it does not star Brad Pitt, but it does star um, Peter Fonda uh, in his highest fond. profile role. Dennis Hopper really hopped up on drugs at this point in his career. And an extraordinarily young Jack Nicholson. And essentially it features these guys. A lot of uh, – Jack sort of comes in and leaves – He's not a very, you know, strong fixture, but it's essentially these people riding across America on their on their little chopper motorcycles, and so they easily. Uh, no, oh. no, not really. Clickbait. And I think that they're from the what 60s I remember. invented clickbait. <laughs> I saw this movie when I was younger than you. Actually, I saw this movie when I was like 21 because okay. it was sort of one of those movies that everybody should see. But my recollection when is when you finally bought a VHS player. <laughs> This was, it's another long story, which we don't have time to get into. But but I think that there was some drug selling involved, like they were smuggling drugs or something like that in their, in their motorcycles. And, and that they was a some, key part of your early 20s. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, I need to do this with my, with my Honda. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, so it was, it was, it's considered to be one of the very greatest classics of sort of that period of filmmaking. Uh, it's supposed to speak to a generation. It talks a lot about sort of the, the the state of mind of the age. And so because of that, it's an important film. But it's a film that, frankly, I didn't like very much. 
And maybe that's just because I'm I've, even back when I was 21, I was kind of an old fuddy duddy, you yeah. know. And and I'm, what are these kids doing? What smuggling are they doing? Drugs? This doesn't look fun to me. This is the worst. They were doing. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was full of drugs. It Where's was Hello of, Dolly? <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> but, yeah. So it wasn't. It wasn't exactly one of my favorite movies. I think now that I've been a movie reviewer, I might look at the movie through a different lens yeah. um, but frankly when I watched it I thought what's <laughs> the big deal with this movie I don't understand get out of here alright so 1989 1989 number 5 not the album by Taylor Swift though Taylor Swift and I do share the same birth year fun fact <laughs> fun fact <laughs> but the uh, number you 5 someone alike actually we do yeah long lost siblings yeah my parents fun fact number 2 have pictures like from the day, you know, moments after birth of all f- five of my siblings, except wait, no, not me, not you, not me. So I could be Taylor Swift's long lost brother. Well, you could have just been a really ugly baby, <laughs> or a really ugly baby. <laughs> One of the two. I don't know which one's you more likely. Much the same as you do now. You know, the whiskers and the whole. <laughs> anyway, so uh, number five for me is a Spike Lee joint called do the right thing do the right thing do the right thing i've never seen it takes place on the hottest day of the year in bedford stuyvesant it's a hard word to say stuyvesant it looks like stuyvesant but it's stuyvesant in brooklyn new york and uh, i actually uh had to watch this movie for a college course i was in i was in a course where we analyzed movies Mm -hmm. thank you higher education (laughs) um but it's a good course it's a great course and i had to watch do the right thing it's it's rated r content concerns content content with paul ac and jake um but if it's directed by spike lee and it stars spike lee and he's just this pizza delivery guy living his life trying to figure out things with his girlfriend and also all the racial tension kind of simmering in this hot, sun-baked Brooklyn, New York neighborhood. It's all about race, right? It's all about race. And, uh, you know, this this neighborhood where there's this pizza shop, which is owned by these Italian-American, this Italian-American family, and things start to bubble over and some unfortunate stuff happens and things go crazy. But what I'll always remember about Do the Right Thing is how well Spike Lee captures the heat of that hot day. Yeah. It's one of those things where you you almost it's 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 you almost feel like it's a four dimensional movie because he he does such a good job capturing the claustrophobic feeling of the heat and the humidity of this hot day in New York and how that plays into the emotions surrounding the racial tensions that seem to maybe just simmer below the surface and end up exploding. Yeah. So it's really a fascinating movie in that regard. Yeah. Well, it's considered to be one of the all-time classics. I mean, this is this is a movie that always makes like the best of the best of all time. And it was a movie that put sort of Spike Lee on the map, right? Yeah. I'm not sure if it was his first movie, but yeah, it had but to have been fairly one of, close. One of his more well-known and it had a young John Turturro in it, mm. Samuel L. Jackson as Mr. Senior Love Samuel Daddy. Samuel L. Jackson. And for those of you Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul fans, <laughs> a young Giancarlo Esposito. No way. Who you may know as the certain owner of a Los Pollos Hermanos Very in New Mexico. Interesting. So there you go. All right, Paul, number four from 1969. Hey, just a little bit of trivia before oh, yeah, I yeah. get into that. I, I just w- pulled this list up, and I'm looking at like the top 100 films of uh, American of all, films of all time. All time. Right, right. And Easy Rider comes in at 84. I'm not seeing Do the Right Thing on here anywhere. Well, it's because those people are racists. <laughs> Right, number four. (laughs) (laughs) Moving right along. (laughs) This was one of the most underrated James Bond movies ever. On Her Majesty's Secret Service. On Her Majesty... It's called On Her Majesty's Secret Service? Yes. Or is it... Okay. Correct. uh, Why on? That sounds dirty. It does sound a little bit... Yeah, I I think... Well, it's... Yeah, because he's... Is that why it's one of the lesser He's on the job. Oh, he's on the job. He's not on Her Majesty. He's just on the job. (laughs) So... Though he may want to be. Yeah, so this was was the the movie that was made in between, you know, the Sean Connery James Bond and the Roger Moore James Bond. This was George Lazenby. 
George Lazenby. I've never seen a James Bond that didn't star Daniel Craig. Oh, <laughs> we are going to update your backlist all of shit. So, anyways, senor. That's, George Lazenby. That's really shameful. That's really shameful. Maybe it's shameful of you to have seen more than those. <laughs> anyways. George Lazenby. George Lazenby. So he the inventor of the throat lozenge. <laughs> Not quite. He was a, a male model. He was a terrible James Bond, but he looked the part. He looked like James Bond. <laughs> he looked Bond. good? Yeah. He, but the thing was, it was a great supporting cast. This this had uh, Diana Rigg as the love interest, and she is one of my favorite all-time British actresses. She was, she was famous for a whole bunch of stuff. She was... Um, she played on my favorite version of Bleak House, Charles Dickens' Bleak House, which is way more information than even we want to get That may be the nerdiest thing you've ever seen. I know, I know. But it also had one of the best versions of Blofeld, who's always... <laughs> Blofeld... <laughs> Dickens and Blofeld and On Her Majesty's Secret Service. We're going to have to update this. This might have to go in the like adults-only version of iTunes. <laughs> Blofeld was... He's the most famous James Bond villain ever. He's the guy who's always... This, I can see why. Now, <laughs> this is going to sound even worse because he's the guy who's always stroking the cat. <laughs> so, uh-huh, uh-huh. How many eyes does this wow. cat have? Hopefully two. Hopefully two. Okay, we're moving on. It was. It's a really interesting movie because it's sort of in that way, that midway period he's doing some stuff at a ski resort he's doing his James Bond thing he has cool gadgets it's a pretty good movie it's and a, it's number it's a, four it's a James Bond movie that's for sure <laughs> uh, so number four from 1989 shout out to Taylor Talk Swift back. on Instagram is uh, a real deep dive here I'll be shocked I actually won't be shocked I think Paul will have seen this for sure but is a little movie called UHF. No, I what? have not seen this movie. Starring none other than Weird Al Yankovic, Paul. What? Yeah. How, how, how could, I how could you, it? a self-proclaimed Yankovic fan, not have seen UHF? Yeah. Also, a pre-Seinfeld Michael Richards Crazy. plays a great role in this film. But UHF... So I'm it's a tear-jerking drama. Is, is, is a tear-jerking drama yeah. about... And I can't even I can't even say it. No, it's just ridiculous. Like Based on it's weird out at his best. And there is a loose plot that, you know, this guy, this this visionary becomes a manager of a local UHF TV station. Mm-hmm. For those of you kids at home, there used to be VHF and UHF TV oh. signals yeah. before we had digital broadcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. And UHF was the weaker one. Right. And that so, was the yeah. It had like all these millions of channels right. that you never tried. Never to, tried because, yeah. as you see in the show, uh, they were really garbage stations. Right. But he he gets control of the station, and so he starts making all these wacky shows and commercials. And so it's really kind of an excuse to have lots of small little wacky bits held together by this overall storyline where someone's trying to steal the station yeah. out from under him. But um, it's. It's almost like a slightly, no, a way more overstated rather than understated version of Napoleon Dynamite, where it's goofy, it's weird, it's small town, which I've also it's never awkward, seen. Uh, but it's where Napoleon was understated and kind of quietly yeah. goofy. This is over the top, you know. So, and so really, but it's main... well worth going back to. It's just, it's it's a self-aware in a fun way. So really, the main commonality between Napoleon Dynamite and and UHF would be the hair, right? Because yeah, they have exact same hair. Yeah, exact same hair. Slightly longer on Weird Al, but basically the same hmm. as John Heater. Yeah. So, would you actually recommend that I go watch this? I would. I, I actually watched this one when I was in high school. Um, so it was obviously dated almost by two decades by the time I finally watched it. But it again, it's like a mystery science theater that's in on its own joke so i actually think it's worth going back to he makes fun of other movies in here um it's it's really fun Hmm. of course it's so old we wouldn't know the movies necessarily but you might not know the movies that's true yeah well okay all right number number uh three for you paul number 1969 i feel like bursting into song for this one oh great Hello, Dolly. Hello, my ladies. Hello, no, my no, darlings. No, 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 no. Wrong one? Yeah, different. Okay, that's, sorry. That's the singing frog from... <laughs> that's Warcraft. right. That's yeah. right. Hello, Dolly. 
This based is a, on uh, a Broadway show that starred Carol Channing for years and years. The film version was a complete and total bomb. Um, but nobody it stars, watched it. Hardly anybody watched it. It was it was like a super expensive movie. It was like uh, an Avatar level of expense. Why? For they a had musical? some these these elaborate sets and all this sort of stuff. It starred um, Barbara Streisand, Streisy as Dolly, and Walter Matthau as Dolly's love interest, which is the most improbable part of the of the whole movie. Yeah, you know what? Opposites attract. <laughs> Apparently so in this movie. Um, but it, it has one of the greatest song and dance numbers in the history of movies. Yeah? Which so, one? And it's the Hello, Dolly thing. They, they all go to this, this. This is really the only thing I remember from this movie. <laughs> but they all go to this, this really fancy, fancy restaurant where Louis Armstrong is playing the piano. Hey, the actual Louis. Louis Armstrong. A little jazzy, a little oh. jazzy tune. Yeah, so they're, they're all hanging out at this restaurant. They're eating their fancy food. Uh, Dolly comes in, and she's beloved by all. It's like Norm from Cheers, only times a thousand. Um, she comes in, she orders turkeys for herself, and then she starts dancing, and the waiters start dancing, and it's it's really, it's worth it just to watch the song and dance number. That one right there. After that, I can't tell you whether the movie is any good or not. Man, the 60s were a weird time. <laughs> they were a weird time. But that is really worth it. And the thing is, it got a second life with, uh, with Wally. That's true. Wally is fun. I so like Wally. It became sort of the touchstone for that that sense of emotional attachment that that you know Wally had with his female robot, and and so because of that, I think it it has gained a greater appreciation over time after bombing completely out in 1969. When there's I was born. there's something to be said for that. Yeah. All right, number three for me from 1989 is none other than a Tim Burton classic. Oh, and that's Batman, people. All right, yeah, that's what's that's up. That's what I like. The to Michael hear. Keaton Batman movie, actually, not a bad superhero movie. No, it's not bad. It's not amazing. It's not going to blow your socks off, but it it's blew. a solid little flick. But no. at the time, Paul, oh yeah, no, it blew my socks off because it was really the first. It was the first superhero movie that had ever been really, really made, um, like on a on a particular level. And yeah, big blockbuster. It was a big blockbuster, and 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 it it was actually, I think that you could point to Iron Man as a as a starting place for for the superhero craze. You could you could go back even earlier than Batman and point to Superman, perhaps. But but when I think of like the superhero genre, for me, it begins with this Tim Burton Batman. And honestly, I hate to hijack your your talk about this, but <laughs> that's all right. Go but for it. it is. In some ways, some of the things that are on there, I actually like better than than even the Christopher Nolan Batman. What? Yeah, the I think the Batmobile was cooler looking. Interesting. I love sort of the imaginative look of Gotham City. You know, instead of that that gritty Nolan look, this is sort of like this comic book type of world. And Michael Keaton makes a pretty good Batman, and it has Jack Nicholson. Yeah, Keaton is was historically, I think, kind of underrated. Yeah. And he's he's kind of come into more of his own even recently again at least yeah with Birdman and yeah. whatnot. Uh, yeah but this was his first flash it was with Batman and Mr Mom you yeah. know he had kind of a but now he's having his renaissance uh, but yeah he had Keaton he had Nicholson he had Kim Bassinger in there yeah and it it's a you're right Burton you know he's gotten even weirder since yes you know it's been thirty years almost. But he he got the comic book vibe of Batman better than Nolan did. Nolan right. wasn't going for the comic book. Batman. Right. It wasn't his purpose. He went more graphic novel Batman and then yeah. just made it even more gritty and realistic. Yeah. Um, whereas Burton kind of nails that the soft lines and the kind of gleam and glow of the comic page differently than, yeah. than anybody else did without being totally ridiculous. Without being totally ridiculous. I mean, this Nicholson is, was a fine yeah, joker. He was a great joker. He's not Heath Ledger joker, no. but he was really fun. And, and and I think that that was, that was the cool thing about this Batman is it sort of – it it moved Batman away from sort of the campy 1960s into a grittier type of portrayal. It was a gloomier portrayal for it's sure. It's funny to think of that that Tim Burton's Batman was the gritty <laughs> was the gritty was, superhero movie that young Paul was super excited about. I was super. I I tell you what, this was 
<laughs> you talk about me being a fanboy. Yeah. I was in college then. I was totally geeking out over Did you this watch movie. this in the little theater on First Street in Hastings? I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah. No, I, I was super excited when I That's first saw the commercial. That's the same theater where I watched Up, by the way, for the first time. Was it there really? Yeah. Yeah. Just, just so you know that Jake and I actually went to the same college same for Same college. Time. Yeah. Crazy. Not at the same time. No. But for a time, we were both in the same college. No, anyways, I graduated you watched... just barely by then. <laughs> just a little bit before me. Yeah. So one other thing to mention about Batman, underrated soundtrack by Prince. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I still remember See, I, a lot of those songs. Prince is one of those musical artists where I could na- I can I could not tell you a song of Prince's if it came on, but I'm sure I've heard them. Now oh. that I know he did this underrated soundtrack, I can say for sure I've heard Prince. I just couldn't point out any <laughs> of his songs. You'd be like, "This song by Prince is great," and I'd be like, "I have, I wouldn't I had no." You know, idea. I'm not sure what is the most shameful thing you've said so far this this podcast. Whether it's <laughs> you've only seen Daniel Craig James Bond movies or you couldn't pick out a Prince song, I just don't know. He did That's Purple Haze, call. right? <laughs> or was that Jimi Hendrix? <laughs> purple Rain. Purple. Is that Jimmy? Was that Jimmy? Yeah. Yeah, was. it was Jimmy. Okay. I knew it was Jimmy. I was just playing with you. I was just playing. <laughs> All right, number two okay, from 1969, two. Paul. Speaking of gritty, we're going to get really gritty here, at least in the title. True Grit. True Grit. The original True Grit. It was... Um, one the Duke. of yes, exactly. John Wayne's one of John Wayne's last great roles. He uh, he has an eye patch in this. He plays Rooster Cogburn in this old grizzled cowboy and uh, bounty hunter. Um, and it's it's considered to be one of the classics of the genre. I actually liked the remake better that was just made a few years ago. Jeff Bridges is bomb. He was great in it. He was great. And and frankly, I hate to say this because I you know. He's gone now, and he was a great singer, but Glenn Campbell sort of drove me nuts. <laughs> but it, it's still, <laughs> yeah, he was he was just not talk about you uh, know just stereotyping a character with their name. Yeah, you, you just I think there's a reason why we didn't see Glenn Campbell in a whole lot of roles. But <laughs> but it was filmed in the mountains of Colorado. It's a great, exciting western. It has a really interesting theme, and it shows John Wayne at his late career best. So that makes it number two on my list. Is it better than The Shootist? You know, that's a good question. Actually, I was just talking with a, with a friend of mine about The Shootist, and, and he would say, I haven't seen The Shootist. He would say The Shootist is better. The Shootist is such an interesting one in that there's obviously the parallel to Wayne's career, you mm-hmm. know, where he's this aging gunslinger. With cancer. With Yeah, with cancer, grappling with his humanity. and It's a pretty interesting film. But there you go. All right. We should do True a grit. whole podcast on John Wayne we, films. You know what? I have a lot of family members who that would be the only podcast of mine they would listen to. <laughs> we should do it. That <laughs> would, would be, be a John Wayne one. So Yeah, because I know, I know of a few John Wayne movies that are on my backlist that I need to watch. So. There you go. Never saw Stagecoach. I've never even heard of Stagecoach. <laughs> All right, number two for me from 1989. <laughs> I mean, I've heard – I know what a Stagecoach is, obviously. <laughs> It's that thing in the Wells Fargo commercials. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Number two. Number two for me for 1989 is uh, equally gritty, and it's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Oh. <laughs> Clark Griswold. Oh. Equally gritty just because we get to see um, you know a, a guy emptying, emptying his sewer tank of his RV into the into yeah. the sewer and then blowing sand so into many the kingdom parallels. come. And so many Basically parallels. the same thing. Yeah. Basically the same as True Grit. <laughs> but I mean, we, you know, at National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation is this my is the second podcast that you've. It's mentioned. been mentioned twice yeah. now. Yeah, it was on the Christmas movies or holiday movies list, and now it's on this one. So I, I won't wax too eloquent. But does it have Brad Pitt anywhere? It in does it? not have Brad Pitt. See why? It, I, I just don't know why you love it so much. Well, because people hadn't just really discovered him okay. like yet. He was kind of starting to come of age at that time. All right, um, but. You know what? It it's got Julia Louise Dreyfus in it, pre Seinfeld, and also a young Juliette Lewis. Wow! And a young Johnny Galecki, who has had his own renaissance through The Big Bang Theory, in it. So there you go, a classic. We can go back and watch some of your favorites before they were famous. Yeah, I may have to watch that someday. We'll see. All right, number one from 1969, Paul. Number one. So you can tell that we're sort of. 1969 was sort of the last great gasp of great westerns. 
just hit True Grit, Hello, Dolly takes place sort of around the same time. Huh. Easy yeah, Rider sure. has Western, sort of a Western yeah. type of feel to it. But number Those one are... is one of the greatest Westerns of all time, some people will say. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Ah, Kid. such a good Western. It's a really good Western. I watched Western. that on VHS, actually. <laughs> did you really? <laughs> I did. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really fun Western. It stars Paul Newman and Robert Redford, I think, in their very first film together. Yeah, Redford, um, Redford was like a poor man's Brad Pitt back in the day. <laughs> he, was, he was a rich man's Brad Pitt. I tell you what, I heard my mom talk about Robert Redford <laughs> a little bit in my childhood. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, Robert Redford was the thing. I mean, he was Johnny Depp, Brad Pitt, all these people wrapped up together. And Paul Newman had his own sort of Newman had a swag. Like, he was like the Robert Downey Jr. of the time, where he's cool. That's a great comparison. He's he's suave. He's got that kind of easygoing banter to him. He's quippy. Yeah, very, very quippy. That's He would have been a great Iron Man, now that you say that. that. That's the, the smartest thing you've said in this podcast. <laughs> and granted, that's not a really high bar, but <laughs> I think you're I'll take absolutely it. I'll right. I'll take it. <laughs> and, and it essentially stars these two people as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and they just sort of run around what it is. the Old West, robbing trains and cracking jokes. Off. Yeah, jumping off cliffs. Jokes. Yeah, it, it's just, it is a delightfully fun, free movie. Until the very end, when everybody dies. Well, as I say, uh, I actually really enjoy. I actually really appreciate the ending mm-hmm. of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. There's something to this movie that, I mean, obviously we're we're supposed to sympathize with the bad guys the whole time. So there's that whole thing, but the way that even in the midst of the the darker ending. They really captured, I think, the spirit of how we have immortalized the old West in our minds, yeah. the Wild West. of yeah. It was bad guys. It was cowboys. It was U.S. Marshals and horse chases and gunfights. And for some reason, we've really kind of like gilded that with like bronze and gold in our memory. I'm like, oh, what a magical time. <laughs> Even though it was truly awful, like thinking about oh, yeah. how they just murdered each other all yeah. the time. Yeah. And, you know, talk about the need for gun control. <laughs> but... But the end of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid really is a case in point of that yeah. type of mindset where they're going to go down in a hailstorm of glory in that freeze frame as right. they burst out from behind cover. And you're just like, yeah, get some. <laughs> and then the credits roll. No, it's it, it, it's a really interesting movie. And in some ways, it may even speak to the age in which it was made, right? Because we're coming off of, of this age where everything was sort of ruled by the Hayes Code. You had some very strict right. standards on what could be in movies and the good guys always won and the bad guys always got their comeuppance. And then you have this freeform 1970s where people were taking some huge chances with their stories that they were telling. And Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is almost like a bridge where you 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 have these incredibly super sympathetic, charismatic bad people who you root for but they still get their comeuppance in the end. You know, they're they're really likable criminals, but they're still criminals, so they still have to die. And that, that's sort of an interesting little twist. Yeah, it's almost like a precursor to Better Call Saul. Had to get a second reference in there. <laughs> All right, number one for you, Jake. Number one for me from 1989. Oh, of course. My amazing singing aside, <laughs> that's right. Is that really singing? I don't know what you would call that. I don't know what you call that. Sad is what you call that. Yeah, yeah. That's what I would call. But it. it's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It was Indiana Jones's Last Crusade until they decided to create that stupid Crystal Skull movie, which we won't even talk. About. Which will pretend it doesn't exist. We'll pretend that this is the last what Indiana they should do Jones with that, movie. With that fourth one, is they should really do like the old Egyptians used to do. You mm. know, chisel chisel it off the record. Fahrenheit four five one. That bad boy. <laughs> Am I right? Am I nice right? Nice pull. Yeah, but uh, I mean, we've got Harrison Ford. We've got Sean Connery, Sean Connery. of course. Uh, John Reese Davies. Of course. The late River Phoenix. Who was great in that movie. Who played an excellent young indie. Yes. In that movie for all the five minutes that he was on screen. And he hates snakes. He, he hates, hates snakes. snakes. Why does it have to be snakes? Yeah. But I mean this – all right. I think, I, I think I've mentioned before how Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was 
for my my own father was one of the first times where he realized, hey, maybe I need to be careful about what I'm watching. When he was in a theater watching Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, and there's that scene, that fight scene in the marketplace, yeah, where that big guy is waving his sword around, yeah, yeah, and yeah. then Indy kind of like rolls his eyes and just pops him. And this kid, this 10-year-old kid like behind my dad just busts up laughing. It's played for comedic effect. So he was supposed to laugh. My dad's like, 10-year-old kids are laughing about murder. Maybe we shouldn't – maybe that's a problem. <laughs> You're right, dad. You're right, father. Maybe we shouldn't <laughs> laugh about murder. But it's a f- it's a, it's another movie similar to Butch Casting the Sundance Kid where the, the body count doesn't really seem to bother you until no. you see that head roll – out of the hallway. Yeah, and then yeah, you're yeah. like, what? That's a human head. But otherwise, it's a, yeah. it's this rip-roaring adventure. I oh, mean, yeah. the pacing is pretty tight for as long of a movie as it is. Everything is happening all the time. And the problem-solving, the clue, figuring out the romance, the, the Germans. The Germans, the Nazis. That don't melt this time. Yeah, but someone does have a very bad experience. Someone does have a fairly unfortunate experience. Yeah. No, it was it was a really great movie. I think that that and and you're right. I mean, it is action-packed all the way through. I mean, just thinking back on the movie, I'm thinking about the boat chase that they have yeah. in there and and the tanks that's, that's Oh, the going tank crazy. scene is got to be an all-time classic. That was an all-time classic. It was really fantastic. And the scenes with with uh, with Indy and his dad priceless the other thing of course that i liked about it is that it, it features the holy grail so you know <laughs> I, I, I am able to get Spiritual. all religiously yeah. geeky on that yeah and the leap of some, faith it, exactly it had some really nice odd spiritual messages in it that i think still resonate with me you know the idea of of the leap of faith the idea of sacrificing this object for the things that are really important you know family and all that kind of stuff it's just i think that it's a really interesting surprisingly good movie now it's not as good as raiders of the lost ark sure but it's a pretty darn good movie it's a pretty great movie and we were talking about ready player one last time right and all the easter eggs and you know what indiana jones and the last crusade didn't get a really obvious easter egg but it's really actually the entire movie ready player one is just a recreation <laughs> the Holy Grail, the Holy Egg, same thing. I think that there's a lot of elements to that. I, I don't think that you're wrong about that. I mean, because it has that same swashbuckling nature. It has all those action scenes, and it has the puzzles. Yeah. I think that it's it's part of the thing that, that really appeals to people, especially me, about those those Raiders movies, those Indiana Jane's, Jones movies. Is <laughs> Indiana Jane. In, Indiana Jane, we're updating. Um, is is just the it's just sort of it feels like a thinking man's adventure in a strange sort of way even though you need no thought to go in and enjoy it you know there's still this element of of exploring these hidden secrets and i just get into that so it's pretty great like i i will i'll probably never forget the scene that i remember and that is where he starts destroying the library in italy and oh, he just yeah. starts breaking the tile. And I was like, yeah, get some in time. <laughs> I don't know why that – like there was this repressed – there was something repressed in my middle school self when he's like timing up. He's breaking into the library and he's okay. timing with the lady stamping the books. And he's like, ting, ting. I'm like, yeah, yeah, tear up the library. See, like, now this this expresses the difference between <laughs> you and I because I'm, I liked that scene too. And I thought it was really clever. But at the same time, because I'm such a history geek, I think, like, no! how old is that thing that you're crushing right now? That tile is worth more than your life, Indy. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> I'm, I am old. I am old. Dr. Jones with the, <laughs> with the vase crash. What have you done with that Ming vase? Uh, all right. Well, you know, for all the, the great movies that we have seen in 1989 and 1969, we both, as we went through these lists, realized there were some that right. never crossed our paths and or we never crossed their paths either way. Correct. And so we thought this would be a great time to bring back the backlist Hall of Shame. As some of you will remember. We need theme music for that. 
da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't be bad, actually. But. Uh, and so, as some of you uh, may remember, we, we put a pause on that. Paul had to start running a, a couple of marathons. Well, and I'm still doing it. I'm still Paul's still doing marathons, but he misses watching old movies. So, we're bringing it back. We're bringing it back. So, I'm going to refresh you guys that on we did uh, – we picked – Five movies off of our backlist Hall of Shame, those famous or culturally relevant movies that we never crossed swords with intellectually. And the ones remaining on my list were Seven Samurai. Correct. And Goodwill Hunting. And remaining on Paul's list were To Kill a Mockingbird and Saving Private Ryan. But we're going to add one movie now to this list each. Paul's going to pick for me. I'm going to pick for him from our years of birth. So uh, for Paul, so I'll give you my list of three that you got to pick one from. Okay. For 1989, I have not seen Say Anything. I have not seen My Left Foot. And I have not seen Dead Poets Society. Boy, you know, this is a really tough – this is really tough for me um, because Say Anything, Anything is a really fun John Cusack movie and he like sort of embodied that period of time. He was time. the 80s, right? He was. He was. Um, my Left Foot stars my man, Daniel Day-Lewis. DDL! Yeah, and it's really tempting to force you to watch that so that you can finally <laughs> see that there's really no question who the better actor is between he and Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah. there's I, I will watch it, and there will still be no question. It's oh, Brad Pitt. Oh, my goodness. But one of my very all-time favorite movies, and this is the one I'm going to pick for you, is Robin Williams' Dead Poet Society. Dead Poets Society. You just want to force a lot of uh, Robin Williams on me. Well, and some good old-fashioned literature, because I know you millennials never read. So this is all about poetry, romantic-era poetry. You um, millennials never read. <laughs> I'll have you know, I read Ready Player One and Armada in the last two weeks. <laughs> you know what I've... Yeah, what's up? Yeah, what's never up? Mind. Never mind. I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On Paul's uh, list of movies he hasn't seen from 1969, Paul. Okay. So I've got oh, – it's nice of you to type them out for me. <laughs> Midnight Cowboy, The Wild Bunch, The Italian Job, The Original Italian Job, and Paint Your Wagon. And I'm going to pick my own. No, you're not. <sighs> I'm going to pick for you. It's interesting that they, there's like – Two westerns, one with a western title, and then an Italian movie. No, it's and, and really the Italian job. It's sort of it's sort of this caper type of movie, right? Yeah. So which uh, which is a perfect segue into the fact that as a I love capers, Paul, we're gonna oh, watch yeah. the Italian job. Yeah, no, this is, <laughs> and it's supposedly got one of the best car chase scenes of all time. I mean, it ranks oh, yeah. up there. No, it's. In in the still, people rank it very very highly. It's supposed to be one of. There's a reason why they remade it, and there's a reason why a lot of people say they shouldn't have remade it because the original was just great the way it was. They just thought it was stars spot Michael on. Caine, right? Michael Caine, kind of in his prime Michael Caineishness. Well, I mean, I think he's kind of always in his prime. He really Michael is Michael Caine-ishness. Yeah. yeah. No, he he really doesn't have an off time, does he? I I can't think of it yet. Maybe we'll see. Maybe this will be his off time. Interestingly enough, the Italian job is rated G according to IMDb.com. Oh, that's nice. So that'll be that'll be no <laughs> bring, bring the whole bring the whole family along. <laughs> <laughs> Dead Poet Society is not, but. It is PG-13, right? I mean, the the PG-13 rating was essentially invented for Indiana Jones, and which came out, you know, of course, The Last Crusade was like one of the first PG-13 movies Actually, of all time. It was Temple of Doom. No, Temple of Doom is the reason we got oh, yeah, a PG-13 right. You're right. rating. Because they were like, yeah. boy, it really feels like no, you're right. it's not quite an R-rated movie. There's no nudity in here. But they but are yanking They're out yanking hearts, hearts out of here. Yeah. So what we what should we do? So Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, if I'm not mistaken, was actually the first PG-13 movie ever. Hmm. And Dead Poets Society is actually rated PG. So there you go. It's a very nice movie. And it stars some, some people who you will recognize. And, and I, I really think, for me, when I watched it in college... Um, it, it deals with sort of a college-ish environment. It's actually sort of a, a prep school, a fancy prep school. But for me, it felt like one of those life-changing movies. Like this was a movie that really impacted 
you know, express the way I thought at the time. Is this why you changed your major to become an English major? Yeah, before that, I was all economics and accounting. <laughs> no, been, no. You would have been rich one day. <laughs> you would have been rich one no, day. No, I did love that movie, though. I, I really dug it. So. All right. Well, there you have it. We'll add those to the backlist, and we will report back. Uh, but now it's time for the most least important thing. Welcome inside the most least important thing where we make a big deal over nothing or vice versa. <laughs> we'll just make some noise There'll be about some form something. of deal over yeah. some form of thing. <laughs> That's exactly right. It'll be it's happening. really early people. It's the way we love to wrap up every single show. Paul, All right. what do you got for us? So Jake, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm, Are mm-hmm. you an early bird or a night owl? Night owl. Hardcore. Too bad for you. <laughs> Sucks <laughs> to be you. All you. right, we're out. <laughs> because apparently scientists have found that uh, that the, the later you like to stay up, mm-hmm. the more likely you are to die early. Sweet. So you're How more much prone, more likely? You're more prone. You're 10% more likely to die early than an early bird. Okay. So. Like just before them or like how many years before them? Like 20. I don't know. I just found this like All right, right cool. now. Keep going. But, <laughs> so Let's so apparently going. you've got you are at a greater risk for diabetes. Okay. Uh, you're at a greater risk for mental problems, which I think we've all seen. <laughs> Clearly, that is my problem. <laughs> See, yeah. So it's it's sort of interesting, and and you can kind of understand why the mortality rate might be a little bit lower for night owls because you know they're they're up at night, and so they're driving around, and they might get you know injured more often. And oh, so you think it might be due to the fact that they're drinking and driving? Well, it could be. Are you calling me a drunk? <laughs> I'm not How making How dare you accuse me of felonies? I'm not, but you could be out on the road with people like that. Who knows? I, I think that there, there are probably a lot of different reasons for that. I, for me, it's sort of an interesting question because I started out, like when I was your age, Jake, back 20 years ago... <laughs> I was a night owl too, yeah. and now I'm thinking because my wife is a morning person, she gets up at five every single morning. I'm slowly becoming a morning person too. So for, my for your lifespan, good health. yeah, my lifespan is is growing by the day. It's like that, yeah. And I, I can also say, based on our content consumption culture that we talked about mm. last week with Ready Player One, where it's just so easy to stay up late binging Netflix oh, yeah. or Amazon Prime or whatever else you playing video games. Skyrim. And we often start to substitute when we're hot when we're tired, we start to substitute snacks and drinks for sleep. Yeah. To keep ourselves awake, we start to feel artificially hungry and all those sorts of things. Ergo, diabetes. That's exactly Hello right. diabetes, I think my that- old friend. <laughs> Uh, what's yours Jake (laughs) mine is not quite as dark and depressing as Paul's Netflix is going to put you in an early grave thanks Paul now on to you on to Jake Uh, so mine is is a a combo most least important thing the least important thing is that uh, Paul I have recently launched my stand up comedy career as I alluded to before yes, the show, yes, yeah, it's been a it's been a goal of mine for a little while, but kind of just at the far reaches of my imagination. But I finally buckled down. I started writing my material, and 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 putting it on uh, virtual paper, as it were. And I did my first stand-up comedy bit, which is great. Which was, which was great in in that I actually did it. Well, I exactly. think it was kind of rough, uh, you yeah. know, on stage. Yeah. I had well, all sure of two and a half minutes. And two and a half minutes, it turns out, goes really fast when you're on stage in front of a bunch of strangers. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. See, and there's blinding lights in your eyes and oh. you can't see anybody's face, which I like that part actually. Yeah. No, I, I've been It up was on nice stage. not to see their judginess. <laughs> no, I can understand that. I think two and a half minutes for me in that situation would feel like an eternity. I mean – I oh, it flew just, by, man. It goodness flew by. It was gracious, a blur. I would have hated that. So that's the least part that's, of mine. That's great, though. Yeah. And, and that really is – but it, it is a very most incredibly cool thing. I mean because you went out and you did it. I did it. 
I did it. And you may have been terrible. You may have been the least funny person <laughs> ever, and yet you did it. And yet I did it. And so that brings me to the most important part of this, and that is I wanted to put you guys' attention on an interesting thing that just dropped on Netflix within the last week or two, and that is a Netflix original stand-up special called Repertoire by a British comedian named James Acaster. And what's interesting about it is you know, Netflix is dropping these stand-up comedians acts right. all the time. Right. Like they're all over the place. But there's two interesting things about it. One, it's not TVMA. This guy isn't in there just cussing up a storm. Like it's really hard to find non-TVMA, basically R-rated comedians on right. Netflix. They're right. mostly mostly pretty crass. Which is really discouraging because I love comedy. I yeah. love stand-up comedy. But it's tough I, when they're just like I like it to watch with other people too. Right. You know, it's just fun. Right. So, and it's tough right. when they're denigrating the human body with all these foul words. It's just hard to. It's hard to. It's yeah. grating. It's grating. Yeah. Um, but he James is not that way. The other interesting thing about it though is it's a four part special. And a I thought, four part yeah, special. it's a four part special. So it's not just now. That's pretty unusual, right? It's very unusual. Usually, like you know, comedians take a year or two in between these hour long specials, right? And so I thought, well, maybe they maybe they took an hour long special and they just broke it up, you know, into fifteen or twenty minute chunks. No, <laughs> yeah, sort this of like is adventure time four style. one hour specials from this this young guy, and he's in his early thirties, and he is hilarious. All four, all four. I specials? haven't seen all four yet. Okay, like you know, I try to go to. I'm trying to go to bed earlier, <laughs> but I've I've watched one so full one, and it was it was laugh out loud funny, like laugh out loud by yourself funny. So what what was the guy's name? James Acaster. James A Caster. A Caster. A C A S T E R. A Caster. So not A Caster. A Caster, but not A Caster. Got it. And not so he's not a Caster. He's not just like an no. He's not a caster. caster. He's not yeah. someone who casts things. He's James a caster. Got it. But there you go. James a caster. And it's called repertoire. I shall have to check it it's out. It's on the Netflix. Give it a cue. All right. But with that, it's time to wrap up this week's little show. As usual, at us on the Twitter. I'm at Jake underscore Roberson. I'm at AC Paul. And until next time, I'll catch you on the flip side. Bye. Bye.